Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of The Addicted Mind. I'm excited that you're here and you're listening. Once again, hey, just a reminder, if you can review us in iTunes, that really helps, especially with these beginning episodes. Uh, it really gets us noticed and gets uh, subscribers. So please do that if that fits for you. So we have a great guest today. Her name's Teresa McClellan. And I found Teresa actually through one of my email newsletters for Satire Global. They sent an advertisement for one of her workshops on addiction, and it was all about addiction and connection and using the Virginia Satire model to, to help with that. And uh, I'm a big fan of Virginia Satire, so I reached out and I said, hey, would you want to be on this podcast and talk a little bit about what you you do? I'm I'm interested in it, and I think our listeners would be interested in it. And Teresa said yes. So I'm so excited. Enjoy this episode, and see you at the end. Teresa, do you want to kind of introduce yourself? Sure. I have been working in addictions for almost 18 years, and I started in recovery, recovery houses, doing residential treatment, and worked my way up to a master's degree, did lots of schooling along the way, and am currently actually working in corrections. So I've had a wide range of clientele from youth to women, men. I've had co-ed groups and classes, as well as individual. I've done some family stuff some couples. So I would imagine you've kind of seen it all, if that makes sense, with 18 years of experience and working in all of these realms. That's a lot of experience working in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I've worked in the detox end of things. I've worked in the treatment end of things. And I've done quite a bit of harm reduction stuff in the middle. So oh, that's great. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is I saw a flyer came through the Satir Global Network's newsletter 
And it was a flyer for one of your trainings about using the Satir model and addiction work. And I've always been very fascinated with Satir. Satir has been kind of a foundation for me. And I said, I've got to talk to this person. I want to know more. So, <laughs> you know, that's why I asked you to come on. And so will you tell me a little bit about, for people who don't know who Virginia Satir was, can you give a little bit of history and, and a little bit about the Satir model? And Sure. She was a brilliant therapist. I've seen lots and lots of videos. I never met her personally, but I've seen lots and lots of videos of how she works with people and have just always been in awe of her ability to just be very genuine, very creative, and really curious about people. And I like that approach, especially in addictions, which I'm probably get to a little bit later. But she started out as a teacher and just really watched and observed families and how they related to each other and sort of came up with a lot of her ideas from that. And then as a social worker, started to actually work with families. She was the very first person on record to work with families because it just wasn't what you did in the 1950s in therapy. Right. I know. She was cutting edge and that was another yeah. thing that she was really ahead of her time. Well, even a lot of the stuff that research is saying today is stuff that she's been doing, had been doing for a long time, just there was no research backing it up. So yeah, she really, you watch her videos, you could see the intuitive sense that she had about helping people really just feel comfortable in their own skin and then helping them kind of work through whatever it is they're struggling with. That connection, I think, again, is that real piece that she just did magically with everybody, no matter who she was working with. So, okay, I have a question. You know, so Virginia Satir back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, started doing all of this work. And then the Satir model came about. Can you kind of talk about a little bit like what would you call the Satir model and what does that mean? Well, she kind of had different stages. It, her work has evolved over the years. So initially it was called a communication model. And it was mostly about how people related to each other. And she came up with four different ways in which she saw most people communicating. And then she wrote her book, The Conjoint Family Therapy. The time of the human potential movement, and it was called the human validation model. She just really had a positive outlook on people, on change, on families, on growth. And so it became this growth model of moving things forward and not looking at the pathology of people and of problems, but looking at the intention of symptoms. So not getting stuck in behaviors or symptoms, but being able to look underneath it and being able to move people forward. So a big part of her work was about becoming more fully human. So having more full lives and becoming more whole. You know, when I hear you talk about that, you know, the human validation model and uh, really a very, it almost sounds like the positive psychology that's coming out of research now. I don't know if there's a similarity between the two, but it seems to me there is. Yeah. And a lot of the work that she was doing, she was working at um, the Mental Research Institute and Esalen down in California. So a lot of the people that she was working with at the time was on that same line. Right. It was yeah. kind of that new wave coming into from the psychodynamic approach, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. It sounds kind of like, you know, we started there and then we kind of got into the CBT realm. I mean, that was easily researched and, and stuff. And we're yeah. kind of coming back to this human validation model, this model yeah. of looking at human potential and yeah. a very positive approach to mental health. Yes. I think it's really exciting. I really yes. like it. Me so, too. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit. So how did you kind of discover her work and how did you start to use her work in working with addiction? And Well, it was first sent to her trainings through work. 
and was totally overwhelmed and out of my league in terms of being very new to addictions and very new to therapy, just very new in general. And yet there was such a natural fit to it. It just felt like I had come home. So just the way that I looked at me, the way I was able to see clients, the way that I understood change, the way that I understood just the universality of human beings, like it just seemed to really normalize a lot of things and give lots of hope. You know, and that's a message when, when you're talking about that. When I talk to people who have experience with Virginia Satir's work or going to one of our trainings, they say that a lot. They just, mm -hmm. this just feels right. This feels yeah. something about it that just really speaks to me on a deep, deep level. I mean, that yeah. experience. And that's kind of the same of my own experience too, as you know, when I was in school for marriage and family therapy, I was introduced to Virginia Satir and I just kind of fell in love with her work. And I said, mm -hmm. this is really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it, I mean, all the trainings that I've ever been to too, there's this personal growth aspect of it too, where it really is looking at you to be able to learn about how to do it with clients. So I know that that experiential process was vital to me being able to really internalize a lot of the concepts, right? It wasn't just a model and it wasn't, it isn't just techniques. It really is a way of being. Yeah, I agree. Can you talk a little bit about the experiential part of it? Because I think a lot of, you know, when people are looking for treatment, you know, they think of therapy, you go sit in a room and you talk. And with Virginia Satir's work and the Satir model, it's, it's very different. Can you talk a little bit about the experiential component? Yes. Some of the ways she did it is very different than I might necessarily do it in my office today because she was big on what she called sculpting. Mm -hmm. So it was being able to really use the body and she used props. Anything in the room she was able to bring in. One of the videos that I love was that she was working with parent and child or couples that were not able to see eye to eye. They weren't level. She would use a chair to just bring them eye to eye so they could connect instead of being higher than or taller than. So it was a very active process as well. It She used touch a lot, which I know is a huge sort of taboo in our therapy today. However, sometimes her it was just her hand supporting someone in being able to speak to their partner or supporting them up in a chair, which really lent to her own energy being able to support them rather than it being a physical touch. So touch was another way to be able to, to do that. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I was, was going to comment about that because at the time when she was doing this, these were really radical ideas. They may not seem yeah. as radical now, but at the time, this was kind of almost unheard of. You know, it was the very, uh, I don't know, you know, structured kind of therapeutic session. And here she was doing these very dynamic things, moving people around the room, standing them on chairs. Like you said, it was pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. And today there's a lot more. I know lots of the research on body and somatic experiencing is being able to bring the body in in a whole new way. So being able to really experience emotion in the body. So not just talking about it, but being able to express it and bring in, she used lots of metaphors. So bringing in pictures and colors and being able to describe things using metaphor or pictures to be able to really bring an experience and fill in the gaps almost in some ways. So how did this start to, when you started using this in the addiction field, how did that kind of come about when you start to combine these two or did, was it just a natural process or did you kind of say, yeah, I'm going to do this together or. 
It was really natural for me just because I was already being exposed to it at work. We did lots of staff training with the model. We had clinical supervision coming into our workplace in the model. So we had lots of support that way. I think one of the biggest, there's a few pieces. So one was the whole concept metaphor of the iceberg. So being able to see human beings as more than just their behavior So she used the iceberg as a metaphor for human experience, that there's only such a small percentage of what we see above the surface. And yet there's so much more going on to human beings that a lot of times gets missed. So some other therapies, they look at thoughts, they look at, you know, beliefs and assumptions, they look at emotions, they look at that kind of stuff. Whereas Satir brings in multiple levels, including yearnings and expectations. And then she taps into life energy and spiritual essence, which again is another sort of one of those, not so much controversial, but really new age ideas today that was, you know, not so well talked about back then. It kind of really goes, you know, when you talk about that, that the yearnings and it goes to that deeper um, core of our being where we're, you know, it's almost what we really need to talk about. And that does, can I think, connects to our spirituality, who we are, yeah. how we're connected yeah. to the universe. But yeah, she brought that in. And yeah, you watch her videos, you watch how she's able to get right to that, that very yeah. essence. So you have to be able to listen for that and look for that. When you're working with people, you have to see past what either their behaviors are doing or what they're presenting at or what their story tells you. And so when you can see that and hear that, you can then access that much deeper. Right. And that's so validating for people who, you know, especially in addiction, most of them, you know, there's a lot of trauma usually behind addiction. So they've never been in in relationships where somebody actually sees them. That's very amazing. I mean, it's amazing to watch take place. Yeah. And so she had talked about, you know, to be seen, to be heard. To be validated is a huge gift by another human being. So that connection that we are able to have that deeply just doesn't happen every day. Yeah, I know. And she has that. What's the famous poem that she's I I am me? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, when you're working with people who are in addiction treatment, how do you think this model helps them? Like, what's the benefits of kind of using this stance, I would say, with them? I think what you just talked about is really being seen. For one, when you're in that place as a therapist, the use of self, she talked about the use of self quite a bit too, is when you're there, you create safety and that space for clients to be able to go there in a timely manner, right? There's no pressure. There's no expectation. There's no judgment. It really is that I trust that you'll go there when you're ready, not that you sit around and wait for them, but you create the space for them to get to that deeper place. And then it's no longer about all the other stuff. They can kind of drop into that deeper place of what they really want for their life. Well, I think also they're really feeling safe with you, right? In the Satir model, that safety is such a component that you're helping them regulate in a way, um, maybe affect regulation. I think maybe Virginia Satir was her intuitive knowing brought her to that effective regulation, interpersonal effective regulation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And she was able to do that. It sounds like that's what you're kind of describing. Model really supports that. Yeah. And when you think about attachment as well, that secure attachment, a lot for a lot of people who have experienced insecure attachment and trauma, they haven't had a lot of positive relationships or since they've been using, they haven't had a lot of positive relationships. 
because a lot of times that's the costs of substance abuse, right, is that people get disconnected from loved ones, from friends, from society in general. So to have someone witnessing them and providing them that space where they can connect with human beings, it starts to build not a dependency, but a place where they can start to connect with themselves and build that capacity. Right. Yeah, definitely. And you can kind of see it and they have the it's okay to look at themselves. They're not going to be judged for it. They're just going to be accepted in that space. And in the Satir model, it's really is like holding that space for them. Yes. And being that mirror back. One of the other things that has been quite profound for me is being able to see what their addiction, what their behavior, what their coping has been trying to do for them, like really looking at that positive intention of it. So for a lot of people, anger has been a huge protection for them. I work with men in jail. So, you know, that anger has been a protection for them from being hurt, from being rejected, right? And so being able to really see that it's been trying to help them, even though it's cost them an awful lot, most people have never seen it that way, right? They've been judged their whole life for this negative behavior, and yet it's really saved their life in lots of times. Yeah, and it almost makes it understandable, you know, because a lot yes. of times they're blaming themselves. I mean, most of the addicts that I've met don't want to be addicts. I mean, no, I don't think no. any addict wants yeah. to be an addict. And they're so incredibly hard on themselves. And then when someone can be there with them and say, hey, this kind of makes sense that you're yeah. using this as a way to cope with all of these, you know, what you said earlier, like the yearnings that you have, yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I'm still here with you and we'll do it together. And when they find out what it is they're really looking for, because when they look at safety and when they look at love and connection, then it's about how to find ways to be able to get that in different ways and new ways. And you provide that experience in session. Yeah, definitely. And they start to realize that, oh, my gosh, you know, I can actually um, I can connect with people. It's been amazing to watch and and use her work. I use a lot of her work in my own agency, and we use a lot of Satir stuff. And I've always just loved it because people do. They just feel so connected, and they feel so safe. that, And they just never had that before. And it's amazing to watch them heal through that process. And if you you watch Satir do that, she just knew how to do that on an uncanny level. I mean, she had some like magic sixth sense to be able to like (laughs) really tune into people and tune into like families at the whole time too. You know, everyone. Yeah. I'm always in awe of it. So tell me a little bit, like when we're looking at this, do you know of any of the research that might support this model? I know we talked about positive psychology and and stuff like that, but I know her model, I don't think it had a lot of research because it was kind of a hard model to research. How do you talk about like the spirituality, this realm of like CBT or cognitive behavior therapy? It's kind of like, do this, do this, do this, we can measure it. And you can manualize it. Yeah. Whereas this is not manualizable. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, I think we're getting better at it with like brain imaging and all of that to kind of see some of this process. I don't know. Can you talk to that at all or? Yes. Some of the things that I have been, I just finished my master's degree. So some of the stuff that we've been looking at and it's like, well, that's a tear, that's a tear and that's a tear. I've been quite surprised at how much is very, very similar to what I've been seeing in satire for the last 18 years. And yet it hasn't seemed to have made those connections. So in terms of just general counseling, the conversations over the years in school about how important the therapeutic relationship is, like it's vital to that safety and security and attachment and attunement. 
in order for therapy to even happen, right? That's one of the most important things. So if that client doesn't feel it with you, they're not going to come back, especially in addiction. And I think that's, like you said, that's starting to show up in other models that are now, I don't know if you want to call them more current, but when you look at yeah. like somatic experiencing, which is a kind of a more current model, we're seeing yeah. like Satir was kind of doing that a long time ago. They just yeah. didn't have a name for it. She just did it. You yeah. know, some of the positive psychology focusing on the positive, that's kind of newer, a newer model that's kind of coming out and... Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I have the same experience too. I'm looking back and I go, well, that's kind of satire, this new model. Or even when they talk about like affect regulation and, you know, the therapist regulating the affect of the client and vice versa. I mean, satire, she was doing that. Yeah. She might not even have known that she was doing it, but she just did it. It's fascinating. Yeah, and the other one is the experiential therapy. I mean, again, it's becoming more known how important it is to be able to really access the brain and the body in therapy to be able to have that permanent transformation. So lots of neuroscience research is showing, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, for a lot of people who might be listening, they may not understand what you mean by experiential. Can you kind of give an example of how you would maybe do that in your office with a client or, or something so that they can kind of understand it more on a concrete level? So I guess one of the, the easiest ways that helps me to describe it is being able to have an experience right now. So when you're talking about something that happened in the past or even talking about emotions, it doesn't necessarily mean you're experiencing them. And so it's not about necessarily regressing backwards, but being able to, as someone's talking about it, it's like, what are you feeling right now? What are you noticing in your body right now? So having, being able to connect with the experience of it, because a lot of times for clients and especially in addiction, who've had trauma and all kinds of other inability to regulate those emotions, to have them with you and learn how to regulate them, which a lot of times is just allowing them to be there without having them totally take over, is being there in the now. So what are you feeling right now? And then having their feet on the ground right now, because they're not in the past, they're here right now. Right. So bring so it just right to the present moment. Yeah. And then being able to just notice where do you feel it in your body and what's happening. So again, bringing in pictures, bringing in there are different aspects of the body, different aspects of the brain, and being able to broaden their understanding, not just cognitively, but through their whole body. That might be where you, you know, you're like you're saying, you bring in artwork or you might even move them around the room or have them stand yeah. up or sit down or lay down yeah. or when they're in couples therapy, stand up and look at each other, things like that. Very experiential. Yeah. It's not just the kind of standard what we, I think, you know, what people think of therapy is, you know, okay, we're going to sit on a couch and we're going to talk, right? It's much more like there's a movement about it. That's great. And so sometimes, again, is being able to, you know, if you if you could move your body in a certain way that would help release that, right? Just, so they're just really bringing in different practices to be able to bring it into that movement. I think, you know, I mean, this is so fascinating. I think we could talk about this for a long time and we could go into even more detail <laughs> about it. But unfortunately, we're kind of limited on time. So is there anything else that you would like to say or you think people should know or... I guess when I mean, you talk about research and some of the stuff specific for addictions, I've had lots of training in motivational interviewing and trauma-informed practice, mindfulness-based relapse prevention. And again, they all sort of cover the same same aspects that we were just talking about, right, is being able to really meet the clients where they're at. Uh, so the motivational interviewing, right, is, is being able to meet them where they're at. There's no agenda from the therapist. It's not about what I want for them. It's where are you at and where can I help you move to? 
you know, and then being able to always be moving in that positive direction. They talk about change talk. We use change focus, right? Like mm -hmm. the language is a little bit different, yeah. but the practices are very similar. One more question. What would you say to, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're struggling with addiction, what would you tell them? What would be the one thing that you would say from this experience that you'd <laughs> want them to know? I know I can put you on the spot, but. Yeah, no, it's not about the substance. It's about the person. Ah, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I know that most people get caught up on what they're using, how much they're using, where they're using, who they're using with, what they're doing when they're using. It really isn't about that. If you can connect with that person, the human being, and what they really want for their life, they will change. Oh, that's great. I love that. So, okay. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, where can they find out more about you or connect with you or? A lot of the training that I do is out of the Satir Institute of the Pacific, which is up in Surrey in BC in Canada. So our website is www.satirpacific.org. So that website will have information on our trainings, including the workshop that I'm doing. It'll have information on different books, articles, blogs, there's an annotated bibliography on there as well as all kinds of different resources that look at and some research on Satir. Well, that's awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. And any of you guys, if you we're going to put all this in the show notes on the addictedmind.com and you can go there. And if you want to get any more information about Teresa, go there. It'll also be in the show notes as well. And Teresa, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. Please support us by going to iTunes and leaving us a review. Every little bit helps. Also, if you'd like to support us directly, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Addicted Mind. There you can support us directly and help offset the cost of producing this podcast and help us get this information to everybody who needs it. So take care, have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next week. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.